and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about Hi, everyone. I'm Lori LeBay, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. If you're new to our channel, Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people all around the world. So maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. Now, if you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can go ahead and download that on any of your favorite music platforms. Before I introduce our guest, which we're going to be talking about art therapy, mental health, um, dementia, and sexual health, kind of all wrapped into one, I like to do a couple of shout outs. So first of all, please go to alzheimerspeaks.com. That's our main hub. And there we have one whole section that lays out free educational resources. And so you'll be able to find out about some public events that uh, you can participate in. Uh, That includes a couple support groups that I do, as well as educational programs. There's information on memory cafes and becoming dementia friendly, how to access dementia map and what that can do for you, the radio show, dementia chats, and so much more. So uh, please check out alzheimerspeaks.com. We are going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and then we're going to be right back with our guest. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, we are back. And again, we are going to be talking about art therapy, um, sexual health and mental health today, and how all that is intertwined with dementia. And I'm thrilled to have Savan Perdue with us, who is a licensed clinical professional, art therapist and creative engagement consultant. Her work focuses primarily on improving mental health and quality of life for those living with dementia. Savan was also recently certified in dementia and sexual health, and she assists facilities in creating a sexual health affirming environments. 
and she assists facilities in creating a sexual health environment and policies to go with that that support and protect both residents and the people they care for. So Sivan, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. You are just a wealth of information in a lot of different pockets from mental health to art therapy to sexual health. And I think a lot of this stuff doesn't get talked about. I, you know, mental health seems to be bubbling to the top, but um, still not as much as I think needed in the realm of dementia. Art therapy has definitely stepped up and stepped in. Not that you haven't wanted to, I guess it's been, it's more accepted now to even talk about it, which is nice. Uh, The sexual health, I think still has a long ways to go. So, you know, that's kind of what we're going to be focusing on today, folks. But I always, you know, ask every one of my guests first, Mm -hmm. if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. In terms of being touched by dementia, funny enough, I have not. There's not a family history of it. Um, And how I came to the field and to fall in love with the population was actually through my graduate work. My first internship was at a mother house. So it was with old retired priests and nuns. And I was on the dementia unit and I just fell in love with them. It was such a joy to work with them and see their progress and be able to bring that spark and that life and connection back to them through artwork. So I knew that was it for me. I needed to work with the older adult population and I haven't looked back. Isn't that funny how something like that just, it just zings you and you just know You just know it is so mm-hmm. alive that it feels so comfortable. Why don't we start with what's the difference between art therapy and arts and crafts? Because I yes. think people are really confused on that. Absolutely. Yes. I get that one a lot. I get the comment of, oh, so you just color with them. And it's much more than that. Um, art therapy is a licensure practice, just like any other type of mental health therapy. And the main difference is Art therapy is process-based, so you focus on making the artwork and expressing yourself and exploring through the artwork, whereas arts and crafts, um, even just a painting class, is more about the finished product. You're going for everybody's trying to make the same wreath or a certain type of painting, whereas um, with art therapy, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It can most often it's abstract or symbolic, but we're really focused on using the materials as another means of communication to express what's going on internally. That's sometimes hard to find words for. Yeah, well, and I I find it interesting because I think, you know, there's that saying, you know, arts in the eye of the beholder and um, and everyone, I think, thinks of art in general, if it's if it's crafty or not. Mm -hmm. as an expression but yet to me there's a big difference like you said you know art therapy you're in a you're in a safe realm to express you're not worried about judgment where Mm -hmm. you know arts and crafts and I mean you can ask pretty much any adult and they're looking over their shoulder wondering what everyone else is thinking of their comparison Mm -hmm. yeah versus children don't typically have that as much and they're they're freer because they haven't been taught that people are going to be judging them and, and things. And so I think that there's a, a, a really big difference um, mm-hmm. in, in the approach and in the, the safety mode 
of of what's being done. It just seems, um, I don't know what I've seen, just so pure. And and not that yeah. an arts and crafts thing can't be, but you know, with therapy, I think it's just more um it's more directed and protected. I don't know if that's a good Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think both have their value. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of the time your comment about kids is usually, and you'll notice too, in um, a long-term facility, someone will invite someone to a craft or art group, right? Mm-hmm. And people, I'm not creative. I don't, I don't do that. I can't do artwork. I can't draw, right? There's that immediate block there because at some point when they were nine years old and we started weeding people out, they were either told they were good at art or they weren't. weren't. And so they internalized that and held on to it. Um, and so you won't get the same type of participation. Whereas if you move forward, even just for a process focused group and make it more playful, mm-hmm. people are more likely to engage because that inner critic, that worry about judgment is taken out of the equation, which is so important. And so then you're getting all these other benefits of creating artwork. And then if you have a specific art therapy geared group that might be towards processing a certain aspect, whether it's a depression group or a group of folks who have just transitioned to long-term care or the loss of a spouse, then you're really channeling your emotions and your experience into this piece guided by an art therapist who's there to hold that space for you. Okay. Well, and it's interesting when you, you know, use that example of nine years old, you know, when we start feeling that judgment, I remember during COVID, uh, a bunch of girlfriends who I'm I'm in my 60s now, but I've known them since I was 20. And we would get together on zoom and a couple of them started painting online. And one Mm -hmm. joked in, you know, she was doing some etching and things and said, you know, I was told in it was high school or junior high, she had no aptitude for art at all. Mm-hmm. her work was beautiful, but she was doing it alone. It was online. And she surprised herself because she believed that all these years that yeah. she couldn't. And I think we all have to realize how important our words are and mm-hmm. how they can stunt other people's growth and get them believing that they can't. When I'm a firm believer, we need to be encouraging everybody that they can, you know, absolutely with that. Yeah. Now, one question I know a lot of people have is, you know, does someone need to have an art background to engage in art therapy or, you know, can anybody participate in this? Yeah, uh, I get, yes, I get that a lot because folks, again, if they're not, they consider themselves not creative, then there's that wall that comes up to protect themselves. And in reality, no, you don't need an art background at all. Sometimes I think not having that background frees you up a little bit because when you have an art background, you know, it's supposed to look a certain way in your head. And so then you get stuck in that perfectionism piece Mm -hmm. of making it look the way you want it. Whereas if you don't, then you're more willing to be open and again, go for that playfulness to just explore and laugh and you learn the materials. That's something I love doing is introducing people to materials and showing them how to use them and show like etching's fantastic, right? A lot of people don't get um, experience with etching, 
which is amazing, but it's such a fun medium. And so being able to kind of broaden their world as to things that they can do, and then hopefully they can take that and transition out into their own lives to start integrating the artwork or the creativity into it in different ways. I think it's interesting when you said, you know, sometimes it's better if they don't because they mm -hmm. are freer. And I, I kind of relate that to even people in uh, different businesses hiring staff. I'd rather have somebody raw and inexperienced that I can mold versus yeah. I have to get them to unthink some of their beliefs mm -hmm. you know, in order to fit in with with our philosophy. And, yeah. and again, um, just getting to the core purpose of self-expression is what, mm -hmm. in my mind, what art is all about mm -hmm. and, and getting to feel that. Um, very interesting. So art therapy, what, what does that look like? You know, is it on a one-to-one? -one? Is it in a group setting? Can it be both? How does that flow? Yeah, it can be both, which is great. One thing I love about art therapy is it adapts to where the person is however they show up that day. So if I'm doing a one-to-one -one session and often I will go to the person's home or the facility to work with them and I bring all the materials and then we sit together and we create and talk if we want to talk or not talk at all, whatever comes up and wherever they are. And then I also run groups. So it can absolutely be helpful in group formats. It's used a lot in group format in addictions counseling, substance abuse, teenagers do really well with that group. Um, there's such a benefit to having and being in a group to be with others who are also struggling with the same thing you are and having that peer support with it. So it can be adapted to wherever, which is fantastic. Do you ever do programs for people living with dementia and their care partners? Because one of the, one of the reasons I ask is a lot of times, yeah. um, different groups will have an activity. And what I have heard, um, even like when I launched my memory cafe, they're like, we'd rather not have an activity because in a lot of these groups, the activity is not done by the person with dementia. It ends up being done by the care partner and the mm -hmm. care partner's like, I don't really need this. I don't feel like my loved one is benefiting from this. And mm -hmm. so to them, it was just busy work, but to really yeah. be able to engage both, you know, freely um, mm -hmm. do you do groups like that or, or, you know, just kind of family time with things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a wonderful way for care partners or even care professionals who are mm -hmm. working closely with someone living with dementia to connect and be able to sit and have meaningful engagement with each other with no pressure, so whether it's, and, and that's the switch, right? Or the, the reframe is if we give an activity, right? That it's supposed to look like something, we mail them a kit that's dependent mm -hmm. on their ability, what they can do, if the, how much help they need that day. And so, yes, a lot of the times the care partner will end up doing it and there's not much benefit. Whereas if you just give them even crayons, right? It doesn't have to be super fancy, I love watercolor. That's my favorite because it's so expressive and I find people engage with it really well, but it's whatever you have at hand and you just set up the materials in the paper and you can put on some music and just go and see what comes up and really embrace the idea that it's not supposed to look like anything. We're just here playing and seeing what happens and then talking about the artwork as it comes up and the memories happen and it triggers so that you get that 
connection, which is so important. Yeah, I started a, a group called um, Dimension Arts, and mm -hmm. I talk with people around the world and they show their artwork. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. I mean, yeah. some of these guys should be commissioned. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. And like one guy said, oh, you know, I, I can't use my tools anymore because it's not safe for him. So they went and bought a 3D printer and he's like, yeah, you're supposed to put it together in like two to three hours. He said it took me probably two to three days. But now he is building all these things with this 3D printer. I love it. And, and how they adapt to, you know, I used to be able to do it this way. <clears throat> now I can't, um, but I'm still using the same medium. And they mm -hmm. share all their kind of tips and tricks. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it's amazing. And it's so uplifting yeah. to see all this beauty come out. And what they all say, which I think gets to kind of your mental health um, portion is how calming it is. Mm -hmm. You know, most of them aren't feeling stressed out. Like a lot of us feel stressed out when we, you know, we have to do this project and we know people are looking at us, judging us, but a lot of people with dementia, kind of the eagles left the building and they just don't really care about that stuff anymore. They're not on yeah. high alert. Um, they just really get in the zone and, you know, even like coloring and, um, mm -hmm. you know, if it's uh, with colored pencil or color crayons, whatever it is, they can just get lost, they say for two to three hours. And it just, it just levels them out, it reduces mm -hmm. their stress, it brings some calmness and happiness. And then mm -hmm. they have a product at the end, finished yes. or not, but they get yes. to see their accomplishment. And uh, it, it's, and then they share it with others a lot of times on social media mm -hmm. and so then they get the kudos that way. And yeah, it's just, it's very inspiring, very inspiring. And I, and I think so often what I've seen over the years is a lot of communities think, well, that's childish, you know, mm -hmm. that type of activity is childish. And it's like, if it's at their level and they're getting enjoyment, yeah what's your point? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you have a different take on that. Yeah. I think there's a difference between age appropriate mm -hmm. or dementia appropriate right? stage appropriate mm -hmm. and childish, right? Mm -hmm. So working with our hands is so important, right? Creating things we are meant to do. It. And actually, if we engage and get in the flow for at least 15 minutes, we release dopamine into our brain. So it naturally, we get those good chemicals in our brain that make us feel better, which is so important. And so coloring is fantastic, right? You're not going to be getting them Dora the Explorer coloring books or kids coloring books. You're going to get them adult ones, or they do make these wonderful ones that are on a larger scale, because I can't even do those adult ones with all the little tiny, minute details, so that they can engage in it and feel accomplished and see it. And it's age appropriate to where they are, right? It's different. I, another one I hear, and this has nothing to do with art, but using baby dolls, mm -hmm. right? Well, they're not a child. Why are they doing baby dolls? Well, it's age appropriate because you're not giving them childish objects, to, right? They're realistic. You get an actual bassinet. You don't get the toy baby dolls mm -hmm. things with it, the strollers. You get them real things that you would use in real life, and it transforms it to something that is stage appropriate or age appropriate to where they are. 
Yeah. So they're a parent or a grandparents, you know, engaging mm-hmm. with a, with a small child. I think one yeah. of the things too, with, with communities that I've seen and I've heard from like activities directors is I can't afford to do age appropriate coloring because they won't give it to me to spend in my budget. Cause they still don't feel that it is appropriate mm-hmm. for any type of coloring. And so some of them do go to the dollar store and, and get, things that are really simplistic, especially for holidays and stuff. And what they say is, you know, the residents don't seem to mind it at all. They still enjoy participating and decorating, but, but sometimes management and, uh, you know, looks down on that and is embarrassed and no, you can't hang that up. And it's like, but if they're prideful, yeah, why aren't you? Mm-hmm. Why, why aren't we educating the public on what's really going on here? Right. Yeah. yeah. Or if this isn't meeting your standards of putting up, then mm-hmm. why don't you increase my budget? Yeah. So then I can get the things that are on a higher level that would meet the standards to yeah. whatever. Engage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It, it is kind of funny on how, how that goes. Cause I think you know, mm-hmm. activities is just such a key element. I mean, mm-hmm. they're kind of the glue that holds everything together. Oh, yeah. And, they're and the reason people get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. And yet they yeah. seem to be really underrated and, and undersupported. Yeah. So for people with dementia, do you see a difference in terms of how they participate in art therapy versus, you know, a, a different type of an adult? you know, who might be dealing with grief or might be dealing with addiction or who mm-hmm. might not admit to having any issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of think... us do somewhere along the line. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the picture tells it all. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But yes, a lot of the times with folks living with dementia, it's not so much, t- you know, let's explore what happened the other day with your mom, right? It's more about being in the process of creating art and being present in the moment. Mm-hmm. So the feelings that are coming up in the moment, any memories that are being triggered in the moment and talking about it. So if things come up, awesome, let's go there. Let's kind of follow wherever it takes us mm-hmm. rather than having specific directives or topics like grief that we're trying to work out with with the artwork. So it's fun in that sometimes you don't know where it's going to take you. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can come in with a plan um, and all intentions and then it completely goes out the window and it takes you someplace else, which is awesome. And so it's really letting them have agency over what's happening at that time and where they want to go. And you can either have someone, as you said, engage for an hour and it goes by like that and they're completely present or it might just be 15 to 20 minutes and then they're up and they're moving and, and they're off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. everybody's a little bit different with that. Mm-hmm. What's your feeling on, you know, being able to support a loved one through art? So I'm going to give an example with yeah. um, music therapy. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I had interviewed um, several music therapists, and they had a, a wide a range of could family use music or not from mm-hmm. absolutely not. They can't use music. They're not going to get any of the benefit that we can give. Um, to absolutely, they mm-hmm. can, they can utilize this and get some benefit. What, what are your thoughts when it comes to art therapy? 
I think absolutely. I don't want to gatekeep, right? And there's a difference between an art therapist mm-hmm. engaging and leading a session versus a family member. There's probably also two different outcomes. Mm-hmm. So just putting that on. And also, you know, I love teaching family members simple ways, right? It's giving them the skills. So maybe eventually they don't need me. That's okay, right? I'm not necessarily meant to stay with everybody forever. So if I'm able to take what we learn in session and transition it out so that they can engage at home together, absolutely. You know, and it's just learning the different language that you might use Mm -hmm. with somebody. So you're not going to say, oh, that looks good or that looks bad, right? It's that kind of that, oh, I see you put blue over there, right? You're just kind of observing and commenting and letting them tell you the story and letting go of that control that it should look a certain way and just being present with the person and encouraging them to sit with the uncomfortable, right? I think that's really great for the care partner or loved one to push themselves through the, I'm not creative piece. Well, and there's nothing worse than someone going, no, the blue's supposed to be over here. Oh my gosh. You know? And then and then we're yeah. getting into that whole corrective care instead yeah. of compassionate care and you know, asking yeah. some of those open-end questions. You know, like you said, I never would have thought to put it over there. Does that ever look cool? Yeah. And you know, then you might get a response of why they put it over there. Mm-hmm. You know? And again, not judging mm-hmm. it because uh, again, there's no right or wrong in yes. this, in the process. Um, what do you feel the, the mental health benefits are of people doing art uh, with dementia or without dementia? Yeah. So art therapy, if we're working with someone with dementia, we're going to be more focused on connection, anxiety, reduction, helping them move through the process and have those calming moments to be able to breathe a little bit, right? As mm-hmm. they're going through the process and having some time to be able to sit and also honor who they were then and who they are now um, so that we can keep the focus on them as an individual rather the diagnosis, right? We're still connecting with that part of them that is a human that has all these rich memories and experiences and that how you know, what a gift that we're able to put those into a visual medium that then the family members can keep and have or staff can have with that. And then um, with folks who might not be living with dementia and want to engage in art therapy, what's great, again, is it can be adapted to wherever you are. So it might be working through grief process of losing a spouse. It might be substance use issues. It's really whatever that person is trying to do to live their best life and be the best version of themselves. Any tips for people in terms, I mean, you kind of gave one about the blue um, on that piece of art, but any tips of, of verbiage or just mindset that that family members or staff should keep in mind when someone is doing art, um, Mm -hmm. kind of do's and don'ts? Yeah, absolutely. The first one is don't touch their paper, (laughs) right? (laughs) Is that corrective is let Uh them, and that can be hard. I I completely understand it. It can be difficult to see them mix paint or glue stuff places. And you're just like, Ooh, I want to fix it. Don't Mm -hmm. let them have whatever it is that they're doing and be another set of hands, right? So if they need help gluing something, 
you're putting the glue on the back and handing them the piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Or if they're having trouble folding it, they can point and tell you where to put it and you put it there, but you're not making any decisions mm -hmm. for them, right? Just kind of helping facilitate it so they can be successful. That's important. And then in terms of discussing it with them, you want to use those just observations, right? You just kind of make comments as, wow, yeah, I wouldn't have thought to color that blue. That's really interesting. What made you think of that? Yeah. Oh, I see how you put yellow over here, and then it balances with the green over here. Or I see you drew these great big flowers. Have you seen flowers like this? Tell me about it. Right. So you're trying to you're just observing, stating what you see. So then that critic and that judgment is taken out of the equation. And trying not to say you're going to switch your language to more. Oh, can you tell me about it a little bit versus, well, what is it a picture of? What did mm -hmm. you draw? Right. Because then we kind of get self-conscious and we shut down, whereas it's just being open ended. And if they can't tell you, that is OK. Right. Did you enjoy doing it? That's really what it comes down to, right? Mm -hmm. Is whether or not they can tell and they just, did you have fun doing it? Awesome. That's the point of it. We're just here playing. Those are great tips. Yeah. Great, great tips. I love that. Don't touch. You can be a helping hand. And then it, this isn't your decision to make. It's mm -hmm. their decision. So I'll follow their lead. Yeah. Um, those, and, and I think that can apply in so many different elements, you know, when dealing with dementia, um, again, it, it gets down to being respectful of the person. And like you said, nobody wants to be dementia. They want to be a person first. Uh, yeah. no one wants to be a, a disease or a situation. They want to know um, that they're appreciated and, and, you know, everybody likes kudos yeah. for work and a person with dementia is no different. I think also when you um, kind of showed um, your nonverbals, you got real stiff, like, what yeah. is that? You know, <laughs> they are reading all of those nonverbals along Absolutely. with our tone and our words yeah. and things. And a lot of times we don't even know we're coming off like you know, I, that our face is squishing up and we're, you know, going, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think we have to be much, much more conscious of that. Um, are Absolutely. there studies that, that show doing artwork can kind of bring a calmness and a, in a clarity of, of moods and things for people? Yes. There's absolutely been some studies shown about introducing or using specific art interventions or art, um, processes on dementia units or with the population, unfortunately, not as much as other populations, let's say it's still a field that really could benefit for some research um, and targeted types of studies. But in general, as I mentioned, when we do things, when we create with our hands, it naturally releases those really great hormones into our brain that help lift our mood and are kind of the natural antidepressant. And so if we can help someone engage for 15 to 20 minutes, mm -hmm. they're going to get a benefit from it. 45 minutes is ideal, but even mm -hmm. for yourself, engaging in whatever you enjoy creatively, mm -hmm. making something with your hands, it's a benefit to everybody. Okay. Well, and I think yeah. that that, I, I love that you said it's a benefit to everyone because we all have this ripple effect. You yeah. know, if, if we're in a goofy mood, it's not just affecting us. 
It's affecting mm-hmm. everyone else around us. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about sexual health. You just recently got certified with that. And I think that there are so many issues. I know a lot of adult children have a really difficult time with their their parents being sexual or if a spouse is maybe placed in a community and all of a sudden now they're in love with somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with all of those emotions. So what exactly is, you know, healthy when it comes to sexual health and dementia for both sides, for the people, well, for, I guess, all three sides, people with dementia, staff in communities and, and mm-hmm. businesses, as well as family members. Yeah. So it's important because it's, a basic part of us as humans, right, as mammals, is that connection with other people. And that's really what it comes down to, is feeling that connection that some people feel more connected through sexual intimacy, which can mean several things, right? Sexual intimacy can be intercourse sex, right? It can be oral sex, or even masturbation. And then also just holding hands and touching, right? And there's as a society, we kind of have levels of what we are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And we get to a certain level, and then people start to cringe and go, no, 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 we're not. No, nope. We also have this, you know, arbitrary imaginary number in our mind where we feel like as people get older, they mm-hmm. should just shut down physically and not mm-hmm. have any type of intimacy anymore. And that's ludicrous because people as they age, continue to engage in sexual acts at the same rate as everybody else in the population, right? So in terms of someone with dementia engaging, the big thing is to make sure they have the capacity to understand what they are engaging in, right? Our first and foremost, we got to keep people safe Mm -hmm. so that they're not taken advantage of, whether, um, consciously or unconsciously, right? The other person might not consciously be trying to take advantage of the person. But if one of the people engaging doesn't quite understand what's going on, then we need to make sure we take care of them Mm -hmm. with that. But if both people have the capacity to consent, absolutely, I think we should. And there's actually uh, Comar regs that talk about offering private rooms and allowing people to engage in a safe way with folks. Um, With family members, that's so tough because oftentimes you still have this idea of, we'll just say mom, right? And this archetype of mom in your head and who she was. And so when she goes against that, that's really difficult to process right? Mm -hmm. Depending at what age you were at, you've been holding on to this idea of who mom was. And suddenly they're not playing the same role, right? They're doing something off script and you don't know what to do. So it's taking care of yourself as a family member to make sure you can support them and understand what's going on, right? Making sure your loved one is safe hundred percent, but then also checking in with yourself as to why is this bothering me so much? Well, and I think with families too, it, it might not be that mom's just started this now. Mom just hit it before, you know, or, yeah, you, exactly. you, or you weren't looking for it before, you know, because, exactly. because your lives weren't as intertwined. I'm going to share a story about my mm-hmm. own mom and my own family and kind of the reaction to it. My, my dad had passed and my mom was living in a nursing home and she had two 
two that I know of uh, different relationships. One, I found out when I was speaking to uh, the family groups and at the end of my talk, a woman raised her hand up and just said, I want to thank you for your mother. And her husband lived at the community. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, I said, well, that's sweet. I said, Can, do you mind sharing, you know, why, what, what, what has she done? And she said, she has made my husband's transition so easy. She said, they, they have fallen in love with one another. And she said, and she was there with her two adult children. And she said, we come and we have dinner with them. And he is so happy. And the, and and she was just so gracious about it. She knew it wasn't, um, it wasn't about her. It was about him feeling comfortable and he still cared for her, but he didn't understand the roles anymore. Yeah. And she went on to explain that, you know, sometimes at events, she would see them be separated and they were both so anxious when they, because they, where are they, even though they couldn't express it, they were looking for one another. And, and I thought, wow, what a beautiful, gracious way to look at it. And then another time I came to visit my mom and she's sitting on this glider in, uh, at the front door and she's just like beaming like a 16 year old in love. And she just had this smirk on her face. She couldn't get rid of it. And I'm like, mom, what's up? And she's like, oh, I met somebody. And I said, you mm-hmm. did. I said, what's his name? She's like, oh, Lori, I have Alzheimer's disease. I don't remember. And I said, well, what does he look like? <laughs> well, he's tall and broad shouldered and gray hair. And he's just He's so kind. And I said, oh, well, that's neat. I said, what do you guys do? She goes, every, every night we go for a walk and we watch the sunsets and we hold hands and, you know, and it was, it was very, very innocent and just Mm -hmm. this sweet, sweet friendship. And so for two weeks, I'm trying to figure out who's this guy. And then I was starting to get worried because I'm not seeing anybody on her floor meeting that. And then as a daughter, I was thinking, oh my gosh, she can come off like she's not a resident. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that, you know, she wasn't being taken advantage of. So I asked the nurse and the nurse said, come on into my office. And I thought, oh, this isn't good. (laughs) And so she said, have a seat. And I, and I, um, you know, I asked her, I said, who's this man my mom has fallen in love with. And she said, well, I don't know how else to tell you this, but it's not a man, it's Mary Ellis. <laughs> and Mary Ellis was kind of a blocky, big woman mm-hmm. who was short gray hair that could easily be perceived as, as masculine. And mm-hmm. she's like, what do you want us to do? And I said, I, I've not seen her this happy in years. I said, I want yeah. you to do anything. Well, about, I don't know, two or three months later, I come back, my mom's sitting on that same bench, madder than a wet hand arms folded, face beat red, and just livid. And I'm like, mom, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it. Mom, just tell me. No, I don't want to talk about it. And then Mary Ellis walks by. And if my mom's eyes, I mean, if they could have cut her in half, I mean, because they were so laser focused and so evil, looking at poor Mary Ellis. And I just thought, oh, how sad. And what happened was someone told my mom, that the man she was in love with was a woman. Mm. And, you know, for how much my mom couldn't remember things, she remembered that. She yep. remembered she was Catholic, that that was against her religion. Yeah. And, and she was upset and held that kind of grudge. It was two or three months. Mm-hmm. where she and, and to this day, 
I don't know if it was the staff member. I yeah. kind of think it might have been one of my brothers who was uncomfortable mm. with it. Yeah. And no one will admit to anything, but somebody told her. Yeah. So, and, and it, I suppose it could have been another resident too, who knows, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I just thought I was so upset because they didn't have that right to take her joy. Yeah. And she was so joyful and peaceful. And, you know, she'd been through a lot. She'd lost her husband. She'd been living with dementia for years. Nobody had that right to take that, in my opinion, to take Absolutely. that. And nobody I mean, was getting hurt until, exactly. she, until she was told that. And now, yeah. now my mom is hurt. Mary Ellis is, is feeling horrible and yeah. shunned. And it wasn't yeah. good for anybody with mm-hmm. that. And so I really encourage people to think, why are you doing what you're doing? And we talk about being person-centered, you know, which is a term that I I personally don't care for because I think it's overstated and underdelivered. I like to say be relationship-based and and really you can't, if you're caring for somebody with dementia, it's about their comfort first Yeah, because we can adapt exactly much, much easier than they can. And when you're talking about simple pleasures, and again, this wasn't, I mean, they weren't jumping in bed together or anything, but, but that could have been, if that would have been their comfort level, but it was just, you know, simple, you know, an arm around, you know, one another or holding hands or a little kiss. It's like, what's wrong with feeling loved? Exactly. Yes. I think you make a good point on a cup is how grounding it is for Mm -hmm. them and that sense of security we naturally want to pair up and when we've had such a scary experience of coming to a new facility to live and there's so much going on and we're having trouble process having that lifeline of Mm -hmm. someone that you know can give you comfort and feel like I'm not alone okay I've got this it's it's all right and even those you know, those wonderful feelings that we had when we were young, right? When we were 16 and we were interested in, oh, we're going to, you know, what a wonderful joy to have. Um, and who is it harming? That's what I come back to a lot. Yeah. Is it actually harming someone or are you just uncomfortable with it? Because then we need to have a talk about that. And we also need to not assume that our parents or grandparents are all straight. Yep there's parts of their lives that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. And so if this, whether they are or not, if being with someone of the same gender Mm -hmm. makes you happy, let them be. Yep. That's okay. Make it safe for them. We would want the same respect if we were in that situation. Exactly. Exactly. Well, how do you go about, training staff on families about being gracious and yet still safeguarding Um, because it's such a, it's such a difficult, I think, um, belief system to Mm -hmm. change for many, not for all, but I think for a lot. Yeah, absolutely. It challenges our values, Mm -hmm. right? So it's easy to say on the surface, um, right? Like she's with another woman. Who's it hurting? Right. But if you have deep held beliefs, religious Mm -hmm. beliefs or whatnot, or your own shame that you're dealing with in regards to that type of thing, it can be really difficult. What it comes back to is like you meant, right? Practicing what we preach of if we are actually a person centered facility, or this is the type of care that we claim that we give, then we need to actually give it. 
and we need to have policies in place that help us know what to do, right? That's where you protect your staff and empower them is helping them understand why this happens, right? Why people might pair up, what to do about it, how to deal with family members that might be unhappy about it so that you can best support the resident because that's what you're there for is to help them live the fullest life they can in this final chapter of their life, however long that might be. And so it's administration providing training, but also support for their staff, right? And understanding that all kinds of people come and they have the best intentions and want to work with this population and really deeply care about them. But sometimes we have to set our own beliefs to the side Mm -hmm. because this is about them. When you go home, you can do whatever feels right in your home. And again, you would want the same respect, whether it be religion or relationships or type of clothes you wear, if you were in that situation. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. It's, it is just such a complicated one. And now we're such a, you know, kind of a, a volatile era of society of right or wrong and and beliefs and there's like no middle ground in Mm -hmm. so many areas so very polarized yeah yeah, complicated things um even more what about and some people might cringe at this but I mean I I've read articles about you know senior communities and STDs are just kind of run rampant because well we don't have to worry about being pregnant anymore exactly and there's there's this freedom (laughs) you know and and people are kind of shocked at that but when you're dealing with dementia how do you how do you work with that how do you how do you know um how do you protect them sexually um Mm -hmm. from from something like that happening Yeah, I think it's normalizing it, right? When that person comes in, whether they have dementia or they're just coming to live in long-term care is normalizing that aspect of the person Mm -hmm. to talk about sexual health and sexual history and partners. And it's part of their medical history, whether or not they have an STD or, you know, whatnot, and if it needs to be treated. And that doesn't mean you go out and tell, but it's, I think that's part of the communication of, When you start with a new partner, you should communicate Mm -hmm. if you have an infection or something that might impact somebody else. So again, being supportive, offering condoms, reminding people it might have been, especially if they've been with the same person for 50 years, right? They probably haven't had to put a condom on someone for a long time, right? So reteaching those skills and taking the shame out of it. So Mm -hmm. people feel comfortable asking questions and Mm -hmm. asking for help if they think they might have caught something or something doesn't feel right, or they might need lube to make it more comfortable or whatever that person might need is to help them reach it with as much dignity as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, you touched on a a lot of areas that I'm sure some people are squirming in their chairs going... (laughs) How do we do, you know, as much as they don't want it with our little kids in school, you know, it's like now my parents are going through this. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I have to have the talk with mom. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So it's, uh, it's interesting, but it, but it, I think it really is necessary, you know, for people to, to live with quality of life and, Mm -hmm. you know, no aspect of our life should be an embarrassment or hidden. I mean, we should be able to be free. 
Absolutely. Um, as long as it's not harming anybody else, you know? Exactly. And yes. Would, and yeah. it, it's happening whether we admit it or not. So we might as well be proactive mm -hmm. and be supportive to make sure people are as safe as possible mm -hmm. if it's going to happen anyway. Yep. So, so what happens if someone feels another person is taking advantage of a person with dementia? Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. How, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it's important um, to then go to staff. So you're going to talk to your facility social worker um, probably first so that they can do assessments. And this is why it's also super important to have a sexual health policy at your facility so that you can better protect your residents, your staff, the family members, and then the facility as a whole, right? To make sure that you're in line with everything so that you can then put the proper procedures and balls rolling right into place of mixing metaphors here. Um, so that you can see it does this person have the capacity to consent to what's going on? And if not, then how do we then adjust things so that we keep this person safe as possible? And then if they do, okay, then we need to process that they do. But we also need to recognize that, especially with someone with dementia, is keeping an eye on it because some days are better than others, mm -hmm. right? And some days they might be you know, more cognizant of, yes, I am freely consenting to this and other days they might not. So really um, training staff to observe what's going on. And like you said, the nonverbal body cues or kind of facial expressions to see does, you know, if Joe is leading Judy by the hand down the hall, does Judy really look into it? Or is she just kind of going along with it? And do I need to kind of redirect to something mm -hmm. else? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, um, you know, every now and then, you know, we'll hear where staff is taking advantage of somebody. What's the reporting system like for that then? Is that mm -hmm. police right away or does it go through the system? It is. Mm -hmm. It's police right away um, because we are mandated reporters, which means there are certain things that we have to by law. Social workers are one of them by law to report to the state, which then swings investigation in um, to start that up. So yes, absolutely. It's very serious. Elder abuse is, it can't be tolerated at any level. So really doing what you can to keep that specific resident safe and treat them, but then anybody, you know, any other resident that's around that might be vulnerable. There's such a vulnerable population that we really have to be diligent in what we do. Is there a national directory yet for um, staff who have been abusive and have had allegations and charges against them? I know for a long time there wasn't. And I heard talk that there you know, was one being developed, but you know, right now I, ca I can't honestly say if I know if there is one. I, nothing's coming to mind. That doesn't mean that it's not there. I am not personally quite sure if that would count as sexual offender status, mm -hmm. that would have to be something I would have to research because then they would be on the sex offender list, mm -hmm. right? But unfortunately for so long, it wasn't. And so they would just get hired someplace else because yep. people don't want the scandal, right? Yep. So it's handled quietly. It's swept under the rug. It's just kind of, and shifted along, which 
is unacceptable. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, what an interesting conversation yeah. <laughs> with you today. Is there anything that we didn't cover that we, we should make sure our listeners know about other than contact information? I definitely want to get all of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Nope. Um, I think we did quite a spectrum of things today. So I think that's great. Yeah. In terms of contacting me, folks can reach me basically on all the social medias at Sivan Purdue which is just my name. And then in terms of art therapy, if they have questions about working with me, I'm licensed in Delaware and Maryland. So I practice art therapy there and they can reach me at my art therapy site, which is purdueartherapy.com. And my consulting site, if they're interested in caregiver support and coaching was dealing with behaviors, um, facilities that is look or that are looking for help with sexual health policies or consulting with that or just consulting on dementia and behaviors I am happy to do that as well and that's at savonperdue.com wonderful yeah. and you have a, an email list that they can join as well so if you want to get updates uh, from her please please do that and then you also have an ebook um, depression and dementia then people can uh, can get as well. And I've got a link to that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Just, like I said, this has just been a fascinating conversation. I know it'll help many. And I really Good. appreciate your time today. So thank you. Absolutely. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it. Great. And to our listeners, I hope you like, click and share all of this conversation. I mean, we, like I said, we covered a lot from art therapy to mental health to um, sexual health, you know, pass this along. These, these are things people have to talk about. We have mm -hmm. to recognize the need and the importance yeah. um, of bringing joy and happiness and protection as well uh, mm -hmm. to those that we love living with dementia. So thank you so much. Till next time. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.